strategy to the combination of the word and prayer. From scripture, we receive written proof of what God has done for us, what he's created us and called us and empowered us into becoming. Then in prayer, we cooperate with him to stamp these truths repeatedly into our hearts. And then more than that, we access them and engage them and draw down their power into our everyday experience. In prayer, we watch words on a page, on a new leaf in us, both in our hearts and in our day-to-day living. In prayer, we feel a bolstering that energizes us with holy confidence. In prayer, we set off like trailblazers, having fresh neural pathways within our brains, transforming the way we think of ourselves, receiving and believing our true identity. The one that was stamped on us the moment we ran to the foot of the cross. Pray long and hard enough, and not only do we realize we're indeed alive, but we become angry, feeling this that we've been in mourning for so long, saddened by a tragedy whose outcome was totally misreported to us. As adopted daughters of the living God, if we're not strategically praying in accordance with who our maker and redeemer says we are, if we aren't calling ourselves by name, according to that list from Ephesians, serving the devil notice that we know, like he knows, who we really are, we'll always be subject to his attempts at devaluing us. We'll downplay our strength. We'll hate our bodies, highlight our weaknesses, cringe with insecurities, and constantly view ourselves as less than by comparison with others. He'll diffuse our power simply by downplaying our true position. If he can get you to believe his lies, you won't feel equipped or entitled to stand up against him. You'll be weak and helpless, and then he can run roughshod over you and over the things and people you love. The farther he can separate your practical reality from your true living reality, he can wedge himself into the space between the two and short circuit the free flowing effectiveness of your influence as a wife, a mom, a friend, a daughter, a sister. All the relationships where God has placed you to be in light of his grace, his power, his love, and his well-placed confidence. That's why you and I need to be praying to keep the truth about our real identity and constant unbroken focus before us. The truth. One of the pieces of spiritual armor supplied to us as believers in Ephesians 6.14 centers on this issue precisely. It is what's commonly known as the belt of truth. More accurately, based on the history of what a first century soldier's gear was like, think of it as sort of a girdle worn close around the body with all his other pieces of armor tucked into it and held together by it. Underwear, kind of. A foundation garment. The first thing a soldier would put on before going into battle. God's standard and viewpoint about us must come first in our hearts and mind if we want to be effective in battle against the enemy. We need to put it on as our foundational garment and then reorient everything else around it. Before we accessorize with trendy add-ons 
before we drive off into the day, artificially covered by an outfit that only masks any of the lies the enemy is deceiving us into believing about ourselves, we should start with the underpinnings of truth, secured through prayer by the declaration of God's word. Because unless our whole ensemble is framed around this undergarment, we're not really suited for spiritual battle. We're not dressed for the occasion, not ready for what's coming. That's why the Apostle Paul prayed so fervently that the true identity of those first century believers would be unveiled in their hearts. Hear that again. He was not asking God to make sure the early believers received these things. They already had them. He was praying they'd realize they already had them. It wasn't a shopping list. It was a packing list. They didn't need to buy them, didn't need to manufacture them. They just needed to recognize that they had access to them and could now receive them as their own to take full advantage of them. Because sometimes, even with a closet full of clothes, we can look in and think there's nothing to wear. But look again, through the eyes of truth, and you might finally see that not only have you been given what you need, but a whole lot more. A whole, whole lot more. Perhaps again, the story of an experience between the Old Testament prophet Elisha and one of his servants can help us understand what we fail to see when we're not looking at ourselves through the lens of God's truth. Immediately on the heels of the floating axe head miracle in 2 Kings 6, which we talked about a few chapters ago, the Bible tells of war breaking out between a neighboring nation, the Arminians, and the people of Israel. While the king of Aram was working out his attack strategy, the Lord kept tipping off Elijah to the king's intentions and movements. Then Elisha would deliver these divinely accurate spy reports to the king of Israel, who would redeploy his soldiers into perfectly placed, perfectly timed position to defend themselves. Drove the king of Aram crazy. Crazy enough to go hunting for the mole among his ranks, who was obviously working as a double agent, feeding Aramean intel to their opponent. But his enraged questioning eventually led him to the truth that it was Elijah and his bedroom talks with God that were the real source behind these tactical leaks. And by the time the king surrounded the city where Elisha was located, intending to take him out by force, an even greater truth was about to be revealed. The prophet's attendant woke up early that morning, went outside to stretch his legs or something, and... The whole place was teeming with horses and chariots and the clink of sharpened artillery. Each of them assembled for a surgical strike. The servant ran back inside and, sounding a lot like the guy with the lost axe, started going all to pieces, stammering to his boss about their imminent danger. Elisha, cool as ever, told him not to worry because those who are with us, he said in 2 Corinthians 6.16, are more than those who are with them. Then, setting the same lifestyle tone that Paul would exhibit so naturally in Ephesians 1, his next words to his servant were not a list of next steps to follow or a battle strategy to implement, but a prayer for the Father. He said in verse 17, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. When the terrified servant turned back around after hearing Elisha's prayer, what he saw was not the physical reality of fire-breathing army troops itching to attack, but rather the spiritual reality of a mountainside filled to the brim with angelic chariots of fire surrounding 
protecting and preventing any warrior of the Aramean army from taking a single shot or making even one step toward them. Prayer made him aware of all the resources and strength and protection that God had already placed on their side. Without this renewed perspective, he was already defeated before the battle had even begun, before the day had even started. That's what the enemy wants. He wants you living in a state of defeat. Your defense is down, your resolve weak and flimsy, surrendering to an army of insecurities and misdiagnosis instead of courageously thriving in the sophisticated security of your identity in Christ. Makes you wonder then, why all we often tend to see when we look at ourselves are flaws, inadequacies, failures, weaknesses. And sure, many of those things are really there, Left to our own devices, we really aren't able to take it all on, not without help. But these difficulties and imperfections that can discourage us so desperately, the ones the devil wants to present as the sum total of our reality, are actually only a part of the battlefield. And that's the part that is primed to display God's glory. No matter what is against you, it is no match for the power and authority he has given you access to. There may be armies standing against you, but they're only waiting to become an unwitting witness to the overcoming power of God and the overriding ocean of his grace. And prayer will open your eyes so that you can see it, can see who you really are, that you are alive indeed, and that divine resources and riches and solutions are on your side. Assets that make you more than victorious, Romans 8.37 says, through the sheer size of his love. This is the belt of truth. Now put it 